I was good at being bad at school. So I think if I didn't have somebody that showed me how to hone some of those skills, if I didn't have somebody in my corner fighting for me like my mum did, and really just doubled down and used my race as a, as a superpower instead of people always looking at me like a statistic. Hello and welcome to the new and improved Successes in the Mind with me, Oliver Bruce. A Pinpoint Media production, this isn't a podcast about the millions, the fast cars and the large houses associated with so many entrepreneurs. Instead, it's about the barriers, the mistakes, the naivety and the drive. This is a reality check. What does it take to start a business and how do you turn your idea into a success? Well, join me to find out from those that are doing just that. Coming up in today's episode of Successes in the Mind, I speak to Jay Richards, co-founder and CEO of Imagine Insights, diversity council member of Publicis Group and a Forbes 30 Under 30 alumni. Born into a migrant family, Jay is one of six children and like so many entrepreneurs, Jay didn't fit the mold of education. From a rebellious start to his school life, Jay has since gone on to set up a business that helps brands harness insights from the Generation Z community within 72 hours. As brands shape countries and culture, it makes sense for the future generations to shape the brands themselves. Imagine Insights was founded by Jay and his business partner Kat in 2019, and my crystal ball is out and we're ready to look into the future. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Jay. Thank you for having me, my friend. How are you? I'm very well, mate. I'm very well indeed. And for those that, that don't know about Imagine Insights, you're a Generation Z business or a business that's orientated around Generation Z, looking and working with brands to sort of mould them with the view of obviously the Gen Z being being the future. And it makes total sense. But you started it back in 2019 with your business partner, Kat. How did you kind of get into the world of, I suppose, working with agencies alongside Gen Z? Yeah, yeah, really good question. I was running a, a startup incubator while I was working full time at uh, an insurance firm. And as I was running that startup incubator, I was invited to come down to talk at Facebook. When I did this talk at Facebook, um, ended up meeting the NFL there and they were like, hey, uh, we have no interest in the startup incubator side of stuff. But would you young people, would your Gen Z be interested in helping us to create a marketing campaign? And that's all I needed to hear. I just needed to hear the the, the big NFL, this huge um, organization coming to me, some random guy, um, and asking him to, to to provide access to the community. And I thought, hey, if the NFL want it, maybe other people do. Um, and that's, that's pretty much where the idea came from. Because you've got, you've got massive brands on there. You've got Gymshark, you have the NFL, you have a number of other people. And do they all come to you or do you go out and source them? What does that relationship look like? Yeah, it's a mixture of both. Um, so uh, Pepsi, our clients are PepsiCo, eBay, Gymshark, so on and so on. Um, and a lot of it's actually introductions. So previous clients will, will go out and be like, hey, you know, we worked with Imagine Insights on this and you should reach out. But a lot of it is me personally reaching out via LinkedIn or I have a massive cold email um, system that I work through every single week. Um, and I've been building that up for about two years so it's just a, a lot of graft with just building that email list and adding value to people month in and month out. And eventually they go, hey, you know what? This guy's been sending me emails month on month, just adding value, not asking for anything, not trying to sell me anything. And eventually people go, you know what? Let me, let me book in and meet with this guy. It sounds interesting. Well, it's the rule of seven, isn't it? I mean, you must have to really kind of pepper these guys with, as you say, valuable information. And just for those that don't, don't realize who Gen Z are, it's 1996 to 2012. That's kind of the years they were born, right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do you go about finding and 
procuring might be the wrong term, but getting the Gen Z guys on your books to be able to then pump out info or indeed questionnaires or however you go about doing it, which we'll get onto later, for Pepsi and for eBay, because you must have to have such a database uh, of individuals. So um, initially it started off with schools, universities, LinkedIn. We're super, super involved with our team day in, day out of a scouring, looking for young people on LinkedIn that would be great for to join our community. But a lot of it now is actually referrals. So we have a vouch system. So to join our community now, you need to be vouched for by somebody from within the community. And um, that obviously makes sure the quality is always, always high and also, also make sure that we keep our diversity um, statistics super high and make sure we have a really, really diverse community. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, mixture of, it's a mixture of LinkedIn and outreach, but a lot of um, referrals as well directly from the community. Because, I mean, just scaling back, and we'll get into the business and we'll get into the actual structure later, but going all the way back to your childhood, you're the fifth of six children, I think. Is that correct? Yes, exactly right. And yeah, you, yeah, yeah. And your parents are migrants. You are, or you were, you know, pretty crap at education, a bit like most entrepreneurs out there, and that's kind of expected. But, you know, where did you actually find yourself becoming successful at, at that point between childhood and where you are now? When did you go, actually, this is what I'm good at? Because I've done a bit of research, and sales is something you are very, very good at. And you've worked with multiple different businesses and different sectors, I suppose, since you left Birmingham Uni. But when did you go, that is, that is where I am going to spend most of my time? Yeah, I think it was even really all the way back down to when I was 13, 14, because I was selling stuff when I was at school. <laughs> but it was my mum. My mum was always the one just being like, hey, you're a salesman through and through. Just stick to that, because she used to run her own um, careers guidance company when we were when I was I was really, really young. So she could always spot talent and always spot specific gifts. So she was just like, hey, this is what you're good at. So just hone in on that. And that's all I did. I just listened to my mom, honed in on my craft and continued to try and perfect that. Um, and I think over the years, that's just um, done me a great service. Do you think entrepreneurs have to be good salespeople or could you, you know, Silicon Valley, they're all nerds. They're all very, you know, tech whizzes and they plug someone in that can do the sales. But, you know, I can sell, you can sell. We're both entrepreneurs. Is, is that something people have to have to become successful? I think um, to some extent, yeah, because even if you're not selling to clients as an entrepreneur, you're going to be selling to investors because obviously you're speaking about the, the nerds over there in, in Silicon Valley. They're, they're, <laughs> they, have, they have to learn how to sell themselves and yeah. sell their business to investors. Um, for me personally, if you can learn to sell, even if it's just to the smallest degree, I think it's, it's such a powerful tool to be able to have. And it's never going to do you a disservice. It's always going to be something helpful. So I definitely think sales is a, is a key part of being an entrepreneur for sure. And and going back to when you met Kat, who's the COO, but also your your co-founder, what was the relationship like there when you came up with this idea? And whose idea was it? Yeah, good question. The idea actually came from the NFL. So neither of us can really take credit for it. So it's not like, oh, we're geniuses and we came up with this amazing idea. (laughs) Um, But I actually met Kat because I was interviewing for a head of operations role when I was running the startup incubator. Then as I was pivoting to this, Kat, um, applied for the, the head of operations role and we just went for walks around East London for hours and hours and hours and while we were walking I just realized I was like bringing this person on as a, as a head of ops would, would just wouldn't be great for the business because she's so much more talented than that so I thought hey had the long conversation about potentially becoming a co-founder and we landed on on, on, a, on a relationship that really works for us both and she's good at everything I'm terrible at and <laughs> vice versa which is which, which is awesome and, and that seems to be the general consensus with so many people that we interview on this podcast they all say how my business partner, I couldn't do it without them. They're better at things that I'm not at, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which is great. And do you ever clash? Do you ever sit in a boardroom and go, no, I want to do this, and this is why we're going to do it? And Kat goes, no, Jay, it isn't happening. Do you ever get to those points, or are you very much aligned? 
Yeah, definitely. We definitely get to those points because we're, we're both very strong-willed people. The good thing is, is that if one of us um, realizes the other one's right, we're very much, okay, cool, you're right, let's move with it. And on various occasions, say, for example, we used to communicate with our team via WhatsApp and I was like, we need to move to Slack. And Kat was like, I don't think it's right. We moved to Slack and Kat's like, okay, yeah, you're right. And then on, on other occasions, Kat said, you know what, Jay, we need to do this internally with the team with regards to contracts and all different bits and pieces. I didn't agree. Turned out Cat was 100% right. So it's, when one of us is right, we will, the other one's humble enough to say, you know what, you're right, and let's, let, let's do what we think's best. Because really, we both want Imagine Insights to grow. So that's the main focus. So when you founded it with Cat, did it take much investment to actually get it to a level whereby you could scale it? Was it quite an organic growth? Because you, you know, you're interviewed by Dexender, which is, for those that, that don't know, you can put Dex on there and it gets pumped out to certain investors that are interested in said sector. And, you know, was that because you were sending your deck out for investment or is that because you've obviously got the other business, Ad Adventures, which you're looking to invest in startups with? Dex and we were using it to send out to, to, to angels, like, just mm. like you said. And I think for us, we've raised um, less than 100K in investment. So in the in the investment world, we're a, t- we're a dot, literally. We've, we've raised barely anything, I think. And for Imagine Insights in itself, I think we've raised under 40K. So we haven't raised barely anything for for Imagine Insights. And I think I'm a, as you alluded to at the start, I'm a son of immigrants. So I know how to make make 10 grand stretch much further than, than the average um, middle-class Brit. And I think when I, when I started Imagine Insights, it was really, okay, let's test this hypothesis, which was enabling brands to gain insights from Gen Z extremely quickly. Let's just test it using Google Forms and Google Sheets and all these different bits of other technologies that we could just bolt in and make it work. And we did that for a year, A, B testing it, figuring out what worked. And then once we figured out on a, on a, we landed on our product market fit, we then said, okay, let's now let's build technology around that. And that's what we've done. And we launched that at the beginning of May. So it's actually quite recent then in that sense, the actual, the, the, the crux of the business. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Because I think you spend a lot of time thinking you know what you're what, what you're building, and then the clients will say something. You go, actually, okay, this is what's important to you. So initially, what we thought was important, it wasn't, and the clients were saying, okay, it's the speed and it's the quality of insights we were getting. So okay, so we shifted the model in, in certain ways, and now we've landed on a model that really works for both our clients and our community. And that and that's the insights within seventy two hours, essentially. So they come with you with a with a sort of strategy or an idea, and you get them the data and the insights within that time frame. Exactly right. So it's a, it's a self-service platform. That's what we've built because it's really what we were seeing. Clients were saying, months of, for example, PepsiCo, we're like Monday morning, we need insights by Wednesday. We haven't got time to try and reach out via email to imagine insights. We just want to be able to log onto the platform, input the stim that we want to send out to the community, input the, qu- the qualitative questions, set the demographics of the community and go. And then 72 hours later, they land on our dashboard and we have all the insights we need to, to keep moving. So talk me through your other uh, business or, I suppose, fingers in multiple pies here because you're, you're not just um, an entrepreneur with, with, with Imagine. You've also got Adder uh, Ventures, which is, what is that? It's a, it's a sort of venture capital and private equity business, isn't it? And is that something that you are, you're wanting to invest in startups like yourself or is that a completely different kettle of fish? So Ada, um, Ada Ventures was launched by Matt Pellicard and Czech Warner, and they were actually two of our original angel investors. They put a small um, angel, and they enabled us, because I completely came from outside of the industry. So meeting those guys, they enabled us to meet our first round of angel investors, which was such a blessing. So through that connection with them, I'm a scout for, for, for Ada. So anytime I come across a business that I think is um, is led by underestimated founders, so women or people from a low-income ethnic minority background, um, 
I really then take that startup to Ada. Ada will go, okay, yes or no. And if it is a yes, um, if Matt and Chuck are keen and they want to invest and it meets their thesis, then I can invest alongside them um, while they're investing into that startup, which is really, really cool. So it gives me an opportunity to angel invest. And obviously um, it gives them the opportunity to find great businesses that they may not otherwise have access to. That is that is awesome. And I love the fact that you, you, you sort of preach so highly and indeed you push the minorities and that is inspiring and actually you're sitting on a board you're a well, council member of the french business publicist group and essentially you know what you do for them is you, you head up the diversity side of that right and and that for me was really interesting because they're a huge business you know you've just started what's the relationship there Publicists, I know them through uh, Chris McCafferty. So Chris McCafferty is the CEO of MSL Group, and they were a client of ours last year. And Chris was, he and I have a great relationship, and he was just like, hey, I think you'd be, obviously, Publicist owns MSL, and, and he was like, I feel like you could have a great conversation with Magnus, who's one of the senior leaders at Publicist, um, at Saatchi Saatchi, sorry. So that's how I got the connection through there. And then they were like, this is what we're trying to do with Publicist. We want to make sure it's a it's a, um, a reflection of the world that we live in, and, and they want to continue to push the the, the the agenda the diversity agenda and i was just i'm super grateful to be part of that because i get to be in the room with some of the most talented people i've ever met in my entire life and obviously senior leaders that i would never even get to meet in 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 real life so it's yeah it's such it's such a blessing and i really enjoy being able to to help those guys move forward and and, and partner with them because you've got a huge amount of uh, connections you've got a huge amount of growth because of those connections do you think that within business to start a business to scale a business grow a business you have to be able to harness those that you know and indeed ask them questions you can't just go it alone right yeah exactly right yeah i think networking for me is potentially one of the most powerful tools i've ever been able to um to use for myself because it's just the ability to to be confident to reach out to people and be like hey you know what i don't know everything and i would love to learn and 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 ask those questions that sometimes you get a little bit nervous about asking i think it's it's crucial to be able to just step out of your comfort zone and admit that you're you don't know everything are you looking for a pr company that can evaluate your brand profile and execute effective communications well blocks and pr who work with some of the largest brands in the fashion field sports and luxury lifestyle sectors can do exactly that developing long-term relationships is at the heart of the blocks and ethos combining big thinking with big results they simply never miss a trick and they certainly didn't miss a trick by partnering with us check them out at blocksandpr.com have you had really, really bad days where you've been able to get, you know, you haven't been able to get out of bed, you've gone, actually, this is, just, I'm just not interested in this anymore. Or, have, you know, since founding the business, have you been fully motivated to just kick on? Oh, gosh, yeah, no, definitely. I've had some, I've had some terrible days. I remember at one point, Nat West, our business bank, just had a massive cock up and we couldn't get access to our to our finances and our account. Then our account, the, the business account we were using disappeared. And it was our distress levels I, I experienced on that day was nothing I could could ever explain. And since then, loads of countless things have gone wrong where it's just been an absolute nightmare. And it was, yeah, it's been it's been it's been an intense journey. I'm super grateful for it, but at the same time, it's it's not easy at all. I think it's you have to be willing to to put your head down and graft. But you also have to just try and just try and stay in the moment because it's very easy to get caught up, especially a lot of my friends own really interesting agencies and they're hiring hundreds of people and they're doing all these amazing things. And I might be just stressed trying to pay the bills sometimes. So I think it's, yeah, you definitely have to just continue to remain humble and just realise that, that everybody's got their own journey and you have to just keep your head down and graft. It's your mates. Let's just look at them. You know, they're hiring lots of people. They're growing really well. You're doing what you're doing. How do you switch off from going, actually, I'm really jealous, really envious, and I feel like I'm not doing well enough to, 
motivate yourself and kick yourself on knowing that actually you're just on a different path because so many people would drown and go actually it's not really working because they're doing far better than I am so I'm going to chuck the towel in how do you keep going yeah that's 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 such a good question um and I, I don't I wouldn't say that I've got it down pat if I'm honest I wouldn't say that at certain times I just feel like I'm like yeah this is terrible it's it's, it's not going to work but then the three hours later you're like this is perfect and, and we're geniuses and it's going to be amazing and I think the, the the key way that I normally do it is gratitude I normally just look at as you said at the start some of the clients that we've got that we've landed in our first year in business because realistically we didn't start our first client didn't come on board till April last year and um, so it's from April last year to now and I look at the clients that we've brought on in such a short period of time and I just have to go okay you know what if these people were willing to pay us as a business we must be onto something and um, because they're not small tiny little startups they're huge organizations that say okay you know what? we trust imagine insights and we want to get behind what they're doing so I think it's I have to do that both Kat and I have to remind ourselves okay look what we've done be grateful for that and just trust that the, the rest of the process will continue to go and it stops you from being jealous but also another key thing that I do is I celebrate those people that I'm jealous of so a couple of my friends that are running great startups, I will post about them on LinkedIn and I will talk about that. And I find that takes the jealousy away because I'm saying to everybody, you should be using these organizations because they're amazing. That's inspiring. That's really nice. And actually, I mean, jealousy is, is you know, to a certain extent for those that, that stem the jealousy, actually, it's a compliment, right? It is. I mean, if they're doing well and you're jealous and that's, you know, that's, that's a compliment to them. But arguably, having a chip on your shoulder as an entrepreneur or even being jealous sometimes stimulates people to actually drive on more do you think you know as a child or indeed you know when you left uni do you have a chip on your shoulder do you want to prove people wrong yeah definitely so i'm as you said earlier i'm, I'm not five out of six kids um so i'm extremely competitive <laughs> i'm an extrovert by nature so i just i always want to be and i used to play i well, still play sports regularly so it's whether i'm doing jujitsu or i'm doing football i always want to win and i think it's yeah at times it is hard to to not get jealous of other people but you just have to focus on for me personally i just have to focus on my journey and what we're building and trust that the the process will work itself out god willing 100% and with with you know sport is obviously a huge part of so many people's lives and actually that in and of itself is a is a coping mechanism right you can take your anger out you know regardless of what you're doing if it's football if it's boxing if it's whatever actually it's also quite inspiring because so many entrepreneurs are competitive and they also are competitive on the field as well now do you think that to, to, to be able to be an entrepreneur you have to have some kind of competitive streak or can you just kind of go I'm okay with what this is I'm happy to do this you know what defines an entrepreneur is it scale or is it just being innovative to answer your first question I definitely think you have to be competitive I if, if you're not competitive it's to some extent then you're never really going to progress because you'd just be happy to rest on your laurels you'd be like right you know what we've got two clients that's enough and for some people that's fine it's, it's a lifestyle business you want to grow something that will is that an entrepreneur though and that's a good question but i think it's even the person that opens a local chippy that's an entrepreneur in, in in some way but i think it's the the entrepreneurs that we are probably around are the ones that are going for venture scale and are trying to scale things up but i've had to come to you recently i spoke to a friend of mine he's in the process of exiting his agency um and and, and setting it onto a larger agency and he asked me a question said what's your number so if you were going to sell the business, what would be the number you'd sell the business for? And when I sat down and thought about it in the future, obviously not currently at this point in time, but in the future, so I sat down and thought about it. When I wrote my number down, I was like, actually, it's a lot lower than I thought it was. And then it then made me think, okay, so what are we trying to do with the business? Because then sometimes you get caught up, oh, so-and-so sold for 100 million, so-and-so for 45 million. So, okay, what is our number? It then enables you to put things into perspective, uh, which is great. And that definitely then stops you from going out and trying to rage um, shit tons of investment when you don't actually need to. How much do you rely on Cat then as support? 
Uh, massively, but I wouldn't be able to do this without that. It literally would be impossible because I think I always admire people that are solo founders. I don't know how the hell they do it because for me, I just need somebody that I can moan to, have them moan to me, and somebody that we can we can just bounce ideas off. Um, because for me, I'm very much the ideas person, and cats are very much okay. Practical, how we're going to put this into place, and I think it's it's, it's the balance of the two is yeah, it's gold. So, I mean, your business, you know, long and the short of it, essentially, you are forecasting for businesses, for brands using, you know, the Generation Z. So what does your business and your brand look like if we were sort of having to scale this over three years? We have what's called our North Star internally. Um, So by 2024, we want to be adding value to 100 brands a year. And we want to have 10,000 Gen Z within our community globally. So those are the two um, every single month when we're doing um, doing our OKRs or our quarterly OKRs. That's what we go over. How are you building towards that, towards those North Stars? Um, and that enables us all to stay focused on that. So I think that's where we see ourselves going. And the technology we've built is going to completely just enable us to do that much quicker than we, than we expected before. And have you got the IP in that technology? So if you, you know, looking at that scale, looking at that sale, for instance, you own the IP in the tech, you own the data, you ha- you can sell that with the business? Or is it something that someone else could come along and go, actually, we can just rally up 10,000 Generation Z and we can we can just put them to market sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. I think we own the IP and um, the great thing is that we own the data. So when the community's onboarding, all of that data is ours and all the IPs are ours, um, which is amazing. So that will um, that will go with the business when the business goes. But the most powerful thing is, I think, is the community side of things. So our community is so heavily engaged with what we do. They're not a panel. So if you look at a lot of our competitors, they have 150,000 people on a panel. Um, but if you ask that competitor to reach out to somebody specifically in the community, they won't be able to do it. But with us, we have mobile numbers and, and they all um, regularly engage on our Discord group. And it's it's a very engaged community. And you can tell this via our podcast. There's so many of our community jump onto our podcast and actually come on for um, for interviews to talk about topics that are relevant. So for us, it's being close to our community is the moat around our business. That's what stops people just jumping in and doing what we're doing because we've built something that that is built around them. So in terms of structure for your for your business you know what what does that look like because you're obviously at the top you've got obviously cat alongside you and then if we're looking at the hierarchy below that what is that yeah so we've um as i was alluding to a second ago community is crucial for us so we've got two folks that work in the community side of things we're currently hiring some folks in the uh the marketing going out pr so on and so on and then we have two developers uh, and we have a design guy so we're a very small team internally um, and that's always been my mission straight from the start when kat and i were speaking about it we were saying okay we don't need to have a massive team internally because we don't do any of the creative work we don't do any of the insights work that's done by our community so it enables us actually to scale much quicker and enables us to be in the room when big agencies are pitching the brands we're able also to pitch because we know that we haven't got the overheads, but we can also provide on the um, we can also provide on the brief, which is amazing. So, talk to me about the thirty under thirty Forbes um, listing, which I think was in twenty nineteen, which is around when you founded the business. How did you go about getting recognised? Yeah, that's, it's a cool one. I think it's um, I've never I've never really been one for awards and stuff like that. Really, Rahab, she used to work for us at the time when the I think it was twenty twenty nineteen that I was I was listed. So she nominated me at the time. I had no I I looked at the she 
he sent the form over to me and I looked at it and it was super long. I was like, all right, I'm done. I don't, I don't mind. I was like, if you, you can enter it, if you want to enter it, but I'm, I'm not filling that in. That's yeah. <laughs> More time than I need to spend. I was like, I can't bother to do that right now. And I didn't know if she'd actually gone and done it. So on the day, she sent me an email going, hey, look, you've actually made it onto the list, which was great. It was obviously awesome to, to, to be recognized like that and to be amongst some really interesting people. But it's the, the important thing for me that came out of it was the fact that we were offered interviews because people are oh, your Forbes 30 to 30, whatever, whatever. But off the back of that, we actually then landed Gymshark as a client because a person that did an interview with us then introduced us to the executive chairman at Gymshark and so on and so on. So that's what's important, the actual tangible outcome, but not necessarily always the award. And you're a humble guy, and it seems like your mum's had a huge influence, a huge influence in your life. You keep alluding to her. What she taught you, you obviously hold on to today, but do you often do you often look at that and go, actually, if I hadn't had that support, I really don't know where I'd be? Yeah, because I think, and you alluded to it earlier, I was good at being bad at school. So I think if I didn't have somebody that showed me how to hone some of those skills and and really just double down it and use my race as a, as a superpower instead of people always looking at me like a statistic. If I didn't have somebody in my corner fighting for me like my mum did, yeah, and even still does now, we speak every Wednesday and we catch up and that half an hour to an hour conversation with her is, is just powerful, always encourages me to, to crack on and do what I do. So what does success then, Jay, look like for you over the next couple of years? Is it scale? Is it money? Is it just making sure that you're making a huge difference on these big brand campaigns, etc.? It's down to two things, really. It's being able to continue to pay our community more and more. That's a massive focus for me because a lot of members of our community are, we have an extremely diverse community, so a lot of them won't be able to get the, the straightaway full-time job and we able to, we enable them to earn while they're perfecting their, their, their craft. And then outside of that, yeah, adding value to businesses. For us, it's adding value to brands, brands signing up to our annual subscription and being, hey, you know, we can do insights with you over the next three years. That's what gets me excited, being able to add value over an extended period of time and not just ad hoc pieces, which is really, really cool. And then definitely from a, from a personal perspective, as you said earlier, I'm the son of immigrants. So for me, it's the opportunity to be able to be the first person in my family to do something at this scale is, is extremely exciting. Um, and to be able to hopefully one day make sure that my children can be born and do whatever the hell they want because they know that there's enough money in the bank because dad did his growth. Have you got kids yet or not? Um, I do have a 14-year-old, so I can't even call him a child anymore. He's, he's a fully grown man. He's taller than me. So, um, <laughs> the, so it's, I can't even, can't even call him a child, but he's focused on basketball and school, which is great. Oh, cool. That's good. He's got a good focus there. And I suppose with the you know, greatest respect, looking at your business, it would be lovely for you guys not to have to be in business because equality just is the norm, right? Is that ultimately where you want to see this go, where people are just accepting and they have a diversity board that doesn't necessarily need you guys to steer it because it is just the norm? Yeah, yeah. I think the the, imp- the important thing for me is, is just to is to show it instead of talking about it. And I think the a lot of folks invite me to other than the the being on the publicist diversity council when i get asked to come and do diversity talks i actually turn them down um because for a lot of the time i feel like you go to do these diversity talks i talk till i'm blue in the face and nothing really changes so instead of doing that i just focus on putting money in diverse people's and diverse gen z's pockets um i I focus on enabling them to, to add value to amazing brands and that's it if I continue to do that and help move that forward in the long run, that will do more than me speaking on 150 panels every single year. And, and what does, you know, your business, you obviously have to have to sort of practice what you preach in that sense. But what does it look like in terms of your hiring mentality, where you hire, who you hire, how you hire? Because that in and of itself must be must be something that you have to then advise 
bigger businesses, right? And go, look, this is what you should be doing. These are what the stats is, what the facts say, right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And the, the great thing is, and Kat's a massive proponent for this. She always gets on to us about it, making sure that, so with the current hires that we've got coming in, she's saying, ideally, we need these type of people from these backgrounds and just making sure that we continue to um, push diversity from, from within. And we have three of our values and one of our core values is diversity is our strength because we know that we have a diverse team internally, it will only benefit the business. So I think it's it's definitely something that's massively on our radar and we continue to push it forward because we can't be going out and saying to everybody that, that you need to be doing this and not doing it internally. But from a demographics perspective of our community, 65% are female, 35% are black, 25% are Asian, 10% from the LGBT community, 20% are from a low-income background, and 5% are disabled. So when we say we're diverse, we actually are truly diverse, which is amazing. Truly, truly diverse. And and, and I suppose, you know, also where you spend your time is quite diverse because you obviously put your finger into so many different businesses or startups or indeed advisory boards. How do you know when to stop, I suppose? How do you know that actually you need to focus on this thing today rather than diluting your time and helping others? Because you are quite busy. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think as people get to know me, I'm, I'm super militant with my time. I'm up at 6.15. Uh, I normally go to either jiu-jitsu or the gym first thing, uh, or I do both, sorry. And then I work 10 till 4, and I don't normally ever work after 4 p.m. In the evenings, I'm either chilling with family or I'm um, whatever, whatever. And I think is having that structure has really enabled me to then, if I do have an, an event in the evening, I can just slot it in because I know I've got everything done I needed to do in the day, and it just makes sure that... I just I just stay good at what I do, I think. And I think the my argument always is with my team is that if we can't if we can't do what we need to do within six hours in a day, we're probably just shit at our jobs if we're honest. So it's just <laughs> it's just the best way for us to make sure that we stay on top. But that, I mean, that's fascinating, the fact that so many people come on here and go, I work every other day, I'm, I'm up at X, Y, and Z, and I get to bed, you know, at one in the morning. And you're here going, we've just started, we're growing. I go to the office at 10, I finish at 4. You know, that is a totally different mentality, but arguably I bet you're, you're equally as productive because you're just so focused over those hours, right? Yeah, and I think that because a lot of my friends that run businesses and run agencies, I just watched them over a period of time and I just watched it wasn't actually, so they would say they were working 12, 13 hours, but when I sat with them in their offices and I watched them work, you weren't really working for that period of time. You're probably working for five or six solid hours and outside of that, it was faff and you were you were scrolling or whatever, whatever. And it's just, I think it's, I'm just being honest with myself and saying, this is what I'm good at, the smash out the six solid hours. And, and how do you overcome barriers and mistakes then? So let's just say that you've come up with an idea, cat's gone, yep, yeah, let's crack on with it. Great, you're both driving forwards. Then you realise it's fundamentally wrong and it's actually to the detriment of the business or, you know, whatever. How, how do you take a step back and go, actually, that was a mistake, we need to move over here? What's the process? Yeah, we're constantly making mistakes. Yeah. Um, it's, just, it's, the way, it's, the, it's the way of the world. But I think um, the way we normally look at it is we, we will break down why we made the mistake and what actually went wrong so that you can then, going forward, you can go, okay, these are the errors, these are the things that didn't go right. Um, and I, as I spoke earlier, we A, B test a lot of things. So we will test one way while simultaneously testing another, and then we'll see which one comes up. And if they both flop, then you go, okay, cool, understand why, and then move forward. And I think one of the key things we do is we never really um, sit and wallow. So if there's a mistake or we, 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 we didn't do as well as we thought we were going to do, we just go, okay, cool, we understand why. Um, and our team has very much got that mentality. So a lot of the time, our team are all gen um, and they will be testing ideas and if something doesn't work you you we will hear them go okay that's cool that didn't work let's try something different and they don't go oh why didn't it and oh we should sit for hours and discuss it they just break it down understand it and, and keep moving which i'm really grateful for 
And you guys must have not really been affected too badly during the pandemic because I'm assuming that you haven't got a, an office where people sit in. You're all very much remote and, you know, you're, you're flexible in, in, in that sense. But arguably, when the pandemic first started, you were probably only about a year old at that point. You'd had only just launched, I suppose, the, the software, the service as a whole. Now, how have you guys changed over the last 12 months? Yeah, thank God. As you were saying, it, we didn't. It didn't really hit us as hard as, um, as as it did to some of my some of my friends who who run businesses. So I was super grateful for that because for us it was a uh, okay. We're everything we do is online. Our communities even more engaged than they've ever been ever before. They're all ready to work on briefs. They want to make extra money. So for us, really, what it actually helped us to do is to realize the things that we didn't need because we were looking at getting office space. All of this happened. We were like, hey, we don't need office space. So we just continued to work from the Soho Works whenever everybody's in. The good thing for us was it enabled us to hone in on, on what the, the things should be focused on. So that was um, adding value to brands and continuing to make sure our community is getting paid and they're happy to work with us. Genius. And in terms of telling people both in your community or indeed other communities who want to start a business, what would you say to them the first thing that they need to do is and what to look out for around the corner? The, the first thing is, is, it goes back to how we started Imagine Insights, was we found a client with a pain point. And I think a lot of the time I hear people had to speak to a cousin of mine on the weekend and he wanted to start a business and that he was talking, talking for a few minutes. And I said to him, okay, so what problem are you solving? Like I didn't hear you tell me you saw you were solving a problem for anybody. It just sounded like you had a great idea. Um, and then when we boiled it down to he actually wasn't solving a problem for anybody, it was kind of just something that he was passionate about. And I said, that's cool, but it probably isn't a business. It's probably more of a hobby. And I think the when the NFL came to us, they had a problem they needed solving. And what we then realized, when you extrapolate that out, lots of brands had that problem. They needed to understand what Gen Z wanted from them, product marketing, branding, whatever. And um, so I think as when you're launching a business, you need to go, okay, what problem am I solving for somebody? And is it a problem enough that they'll be willing to pay for it? Because if it's not a problem that's worth solving and they're not willing to pay for it, it's not a business. I like that. That is a good point to finish, Jay. I appreciate your time. I think you're going to be, uh, what you got? You've got a couple of hours until the end of the day, so you're going to need to crack on and really focus until you go and chill with the family later but dude thank you ever so much for coming on thank you so much for having me Oliver. i look forward to speaking to you again soon cheers jay take care buddy thanks mate Bye. if you're looking for more stories from inspirational entrepreneurs then check out the serial entrepreneur from startups magazine a digital and print publication that champions tech startups you can find them by searching the serial entrepreneur as in your breakfast into any streaming service or by going to startupsmagazine.co.uk thanks so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe on all major podcast streaming platforms without you this podcast is literally pointless rate and review on apple Podcasts so that we can continue to climb the rankings and if you want to join me on the show or know somebody else who will fit the bill please contact me via linkedin at oliver bruce online thanks again for listening take care